This is the Practical Homeopathy Podcast, episode number 106 with Joette Calabrese. This is Joette Calabrese, and I'd like to welcome you to the Practical Homeopathy Podcast. Women and men worldwide are taking back control of their family's health and learning how to heal their bodies naturally, safely, and effectively. So if you're hungry to learn more, you've come to the right place. Stay tuned as we give you the tools and the inspiration you need as I share my decades of experience and knowledge using this powerful medicine we call homeopathy. podcast was recorded after the Ultimate Cool Kids Guide to Homeopathy course semester began. So depending on when you're listening to this recording, the course may or may not be open for registration. But not to worry, new semesters open regularly, so stay tuned. And now, let's get started with the podcast. Old MacDonald had a farm, E-I-E-I-O. Welcome back to the Practical Homeopathy Podcast. And I bet you're wondering what Old MacDonald's farm and homeopathy have to do with one another. Well, I actually just wanted to listen to Joette sing again. (laughs) I love working with you, Kate. (laughs) Because we're silly, that's why. Yeah, I know, it's fun. To do this or not, the podcasts must go out. <laughs> so we're going to talk about animals and homeopathy today. And just a little teaser, if you haven't seen it already, by the time this podcast is aired, the kids curriculum that you're producing should be out and have started. So we're pretty excited about that. We're in the mode of talking about animals and what homeopathic medicines to use along with the medicines for humans as well. But In this course, we are going to be discussing a lot of the homeopathics for animal issues. So we're going to focus in on that today, right? The ultimate cool kid's guide to homeopathy. Become a revolutionary independent thinker with practical homeopathy. Kate, you're giving yourself too little credit. Kate is the lead person who is organizing and putting all together this all together and helping me produce it. Basically, you're producing it and I'm helping you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm just using your materials to put it together. So we're, we're a good team. A good I'm team. super glad to be doing it. So today, Joette, I want you to share some of your stories of how you've used homeopathy in the past with some of your animals, of which you've had many. Let's start off with a cow story. How about that? Yeah, well, so I want to put it in perspective because if anyone's been following me, then you know that I live in South Florida and I don't treat animals so much anymore. But We raised our children um, in the country south of Buffalo, and we had a small farm, 15 acres, and it was kind of a hobby farm of sorts. And we had ducks and chickens and goats, and down the road were llamas and cows and horses. And so it was really a great place for me to learn how to treat animals and to live around animals, even though I've always been a city girl. it It was a great opportunity for me. So you want to hear a cow story? Yes. I know you have a lot of stories with animals, but I think there's one in particular about a cow that was, it was a dire situation and you helped the cow. Yes. And let me also preface this by saying that for those who believe that homeopathy is just placebo, I don't know how a cow would be able to uh, uh, pick up on the intention of the farmer giving a specific homeopathic medicine. So if it shows anything, it shows the efficacy of this medicine and that it's absolutely not placebo. 
So one day I got a, a call. At that time, I had a brick and mortar office and I got a call from someone I knew whose cow had just birthed its calf and was dying. Now, this farmer was a seasoned farmer and had seen this happen many times. It's called milk fever. And the medical term is hypocalcemia. And so I was unfamiliar with it. I'm not a vet. I don't have a lot of experience. My study was in anatomy, physiology, and pathology for humans, certainly not veterinary study. So I didn't know what it meant. And he said, well, it's, it's a fatal disease. It's a metabolic disease that occurs when the blood serum, I'm reading this now because I jotted it down, blood serum of calcium drops to below normal levels. And um, if it's not handled properly, a cow can go from healthy to dead within a matter of hours. And as I said, this farmer was very seasoned and had seen many cows die from this. And he was, you know, I don't know if I'd call him panic stricken, but he was certainly pretty worried. And the calf, of course, was, was fine, but the cow was breathing heavily. And he said, she's collapsed and it's a calcium drop. So without knowing about protocol specifically, because I didn't have a protocol for that, and it was many years ago, the first remedy I thought of was I have to come up with a calcium medicine. And not only is it a calcium medicine, but it's got to be a calcium medicine that has collapse and something that has to do that's metabolic. So the first remedy I thought of was calcarea carbonicum. For short, it's calc carb. It's one of our first medicines that we ever learn in homeopathy, calc, C-A-L-C, carb, C-A-R-B, or calcarea carbonicum, C-A-L-C-A-R-E-A, and carbonica. And this farmer had a homeopathy kit, thank goodness, because otherwise, if he had to order it online or had to run to a health food store, hoping that they had it would have put him in a great disadvantage. But he had the kit. He said, okay, so what do I do? I said, open up the bottle, pour some of the contents into the cap. Um, Normally we use it, that happened to be, I think he had the Washington homeopathy kit. And in that case, you would use maybe six pills. But no, this is a big cow. It's a big animal, hundreds of pounds. So I said, just fill up the cap with the medicines, open up her mouth and pour it in. If you can get it under her tongue, then she won't chew it and won't go away. And she'll, and not that you need, and let me parenthetically say, you don't need to put it under the tongue. But in this case, it was such a dire situation. We want to make sure that we put it in the most efficacious um, location in the animal's mouth. He lifted her tongue and inserted the pills under the tongue and then gently closed her mouth. He said her eyes were rolling back. She was going to die. He said, she looks like she's going to die within minutes. And I stayed on the phone with him for a little while, but then I had other calls I had to take. And so I left and within about, it's hard to remember. This was, I don't know, 25 years ago, but um, I stayed on the phone only for a short period of time. And when he called me back about 20 minutes later, he said, you're not going to believe this. And I, whenever I hear that, I say, to myself, oh, yes, I am. (laughs) He said, she stood up. She's fine. She's absolutely fine. I can't believe it. It's like a miracle. She just stood up. And now the calf is nursing. I said, that doesn't surprise me, but it always gives me goosebumps. It always gives me, uh, what, thankfulness for this medicine. This is God's medicine, folks. I, I don't know any other way of saying it. How is it that a medicine without side effects, a bottle that costs $12, could cure a cow, save the cow and the calf, and the farmer from expense and time? How could that be? Because this medicine is something everyone needs to know about. 
And so he said, so that's it? That's all I do? And I said, well, no, watch her. If she starts to look weak, her eyes look like they're sinking back again or they're rolling back in her, in her head or she starts to fall back down again, you give her another dose. And to be honest, I think that you should be giving her two or three doses every day for about three days. And he did. And in his gratitude, he named the calf after me. So the calf's name is Joette. <laughs> And he sent me a photograph of her. And for the longest time, I had it as my front page of my desktop. And then when we moved, we lost it, unfortunately. Um, the computer had, was probably corrupted or something. But anyway, the photograph was lost. So the calf Joette is, is now just a, a distant memory. But that's how homeopathy works. Now, some people say, well, yeah, but I've had this condition for many years. Not that kind of condition. So what I'm saying is that speed depends on the, what's the word? The more dire the condition, the faster the medicine will act, generally speaking. This cow needed that she was going to die, as witnessed by this farmer time and again. So she needed this medicine immediately, and so it was used immediately. I've seen that at births. I was at a friend's birth and she was hemorrhaging and somebody would say, well, how, could, how do you know it's going to work very fast? Well, because she needs the medicine so badly. And I'll never forget that I administered this medicine to my friend and she was hemorrhaging terribly and she had two previous, this is an aside story, but it illustrates more thoroughly. She had had two previous births where she hemorrhaged and had to be taken to the hospital and given pints of blood. This situation was the first time I was with her at the birth and we used the the homeopathic medicine for her. At that moment, it was actually pulsatilla and it brought her around. It aborted the hemorrhaging within seconds because that's what was needed. It needed in second speed and action. That's something that you will observe time and again as you use these medicines, that the more serious the condition, the more dire it is, the faster the medicines work. How is that? It's God's medicine. What can I say? So do I, I know people are wanting to ask this question. What potency did you use with that cow? Do you remember? Yes, it was a 200. Okay. So hypocalcemia or milk fever is the name of the condition. So if any farmers out there need to know what to do, if you go online and look at milk fever, you're going to see that they die within minutes of, of falling to the ground. And that's the key. They fall to the ground and then they die within hours, sometimes minutes. One more thing I want to talk about is when you were telling us how you told this farmer to dispense those pellets in the cow's mouth, and you were talking about whether you would use four or five pellets or a whole capful. I just want to clarify for a second there, because I've used just two pellets of Arnica, say, on my horses, and they worked, seemed to work great. So... I would think that you, what you're saying is that you just want to make sure that the medicine gets in the mouth and is absorbed into the body, right? That's it. Exactly. Two pellets, would they have worked? Possibly, but we didn't have time to check it out. I would use two pellets if I didn't have very many, and I had to treat more than one cow at the same time, and we had to distribute accordingly. But because this cow was on her deathbed, then it was important that we just give it to her and not worry about being sparing in our usage of our pills. Okay. 
I just wanted to clarify that for those who are listening that you didn't have to, it's not a higher dose because it's a larger animal. It's just that you just want to make sure that this medicine got into that animal. Well, I did allude to that a moment because the cow is big and I found it goes that generally you can get away with just a few pills for you know, even a large animal. But at that moment, I was calculating in a way just to be absolutely certain. But you're right. Two pills probably would have done it. Yeah, that's what I've used with my horses. And I just kind of hold their mouths to make sure that the pellets stay in there because inevitably, you know, this cow was down and she was probably easy to get the medicines into her mouth. But when you have a horse that seems fine and you're putting that medicine in, you know, they toss their head around and those pellets just come popping right out. So let's move in old McDonald's farm to chickens. (laughs) Well, when we bought our land um, south of Buffalo, I knew that that we wanted to raise chickens. And it was more of a hobby. I wanted our children to have that kind of responsibility of raising animals. I wanted fresh eggs. And I thought it would be a nice family um, project. So we bought our chickens and this was the first flock that we had. And we bought, I think it was about 40 chickens at the time. And uh, we learned later, you don't do this with chickens, but we got them as chicks and my sons were young and they named some of the chickens, some of their favorite chickens, Gloria and Rosie. And it was Dolores and it was really, uh, it was very uh, sweet, but you learn not to do that with chickens because they die so readily by either a fox or a possum or something like that, or diseases that it's foolish to name them because then you become too emotionally attached and then you lose your pet. So it's best not to name them, but we learned that years later. (laughs) So one day, uh, one of my sons came in the house and said, mom, uh, this chicken just died. I just watched her. She just fell over. Um, She couldn't walk for a while. She was actually walking in a strange fashion and I saw her lay down and she just died. I said, oh my. And then another, my other son came in and said, mom, there's another chicken acting really weird. And so they were saying, they were coming back and reporting, oh my gosh, these chickens are really sick. They've got diarrhea and they're dying. And I think we lost a few. It's been a long time, so I don't remember. But we lost a few before I said, uh-oh, something really serious is going on here. So I called a vet. It was a friend of mine. And I described to her what was happening. She said, they have diarrhea, right? I said, yes. She says, They have a strange gait, right? And I said, yes, that's true. Um, And she said, it sounds like cholera, foul cholera. Not cholera that uh, that can be transmitted to humans or vice versa, but it is a a disease that will kill them all. She said, they'll probably all die and probably within just a few days. So um, I said, what can I do? She says, there's really nothing you can do. Um, And the few that survive will not lay eggs any longer once they survive this because they will have gotten it and they will have chronic foul cholera. So I went to my chicken health handbook, believe it or not, I had one of those. And I looked up foul cholera. Indeed, everything she said was absolutely true. And it said um, that there are antibiotics that can be administered, but they're really basically of no use. And the chickens all die. So um, now I know about cholera. Cholera is one of the first medicines or the first diseases that was treated by the homeopaths back in Europe. And I knew that the medicine that was specific for cholera was cuprum metallicum. 
In the back of my mind, I knew that. But what I did instead is I opened up my repertory because I was not a practical homeopath at the time. I was still using only classical. And I opened up my repertory and looked under cholera. And indeed, the medicine that was the most valuable was Cooper Metallicum. So once you determine there, you know, I can't remember, maybe 30 medicines named under the disease of cholera, and you have, you have to choose which one is it in classical homeopathy. And not only do you have to choose what medicine is, you have to determine what potency and then how frequently to use it. But I, did, I looked at cuprum and I said, I know cuprum. Cuprum metallicum is medicine not only for cholera, but it's also a medicine for spasms so that someone walks with a strange gait. So I cracked open my Materia Medicas and looked it up just to be certain. And there indeed was Cooper Metallicum and it has a strange walk and diarrhea. So there it is, strange walk, spasmatic walk, diarrhea and cholera. I said, it's gotta be Cooper Metallicum. There was a clear pattern that was developing in each of the chickens. First, we saw them with diarrhea. Then we saw the strange gait. Then we saw them kind of sit down without interest in pecking on the ground. And then they would fall over and die. So the first one that they brought to me after a few of them had died was, I think, Gloria. Actually, for those of you who are interested in uh, reading about this story, it's published in Homeopathy Today and in Wise Traditions. And the article is called Foul Cholera Epidemic, Homeopathy Averts a Catastrophe in the Flock. So there's more information in that article. That's right. I forgot that it had been printed in Homeopathy Today as well. That's right. Homeopathy Today and in Wise Traditions. So you can look it up and read more about it. But the first chicken was one of my son's pets. He loved Gloria. So he said, Mom, Mom, it's Gloria who's sick now. They're all dying and Gloria's the next one. So he grabbed Gloria. I opened up the bottle of Cooper Metallicum 30C, poured some of the contents into the cap, took out two pills. We pried open her little beak and we stuck it in her mouth and then clamped down her little beak with our fingers. I'm just fascinated by this story of you actually putting this, I can't imagine putting this into a chicken's beak. Yeah, well, you do, and you have to be careful because if you're too forceful, you could hurt the chicken. So he didn't want to put her down because it was his pet chicken. But I said, no, Peter, you got to do that. You got to go on to the next one. And then they brought Giuseppe, meanwhile, got the next chicken, brought her in, and we did the same thing, opened up her little mouth, put in two pills of cuprum, put them back onto the grass. Meanwhile, what we did is we gathered up all the other chickens, and instead of inserting a couple of pills into each one's mouth, we simply put it in the water. Now, here was the problem with that. They would drink it if they were still well enough to drink. But for those who were so sick and had already, the disease had already progressed to the point where the diarrhea was so severe and they were so dehydrated and so weakened that they couldn't get to the water, we had to administer it to them uh, one by one. By the time we finished treating or putting the remedy in the water and administering to those two, Gloria stood up. I couldn't believe it. I mean, the cow stood up. Now, Gloria, (laughs) Joette's mother stood up and Gloria stood up. (laughs) And indeed, they were coming alive again. But this is one of those situations that I actually expected to happen to the cow that didn't happen to the cow and instead happened to the chickens. By the time we got the remedy into all the other members of the flock, the first one, Gloria, started to go down. 
You could see she was going down again. Okay, administer it again. So that's our key. We have to determine how often to use it because we can see the symptoms now becoming more prominent again. So we gave it to her again. We gave the next chicken again. And now we're putting Gloria and the two chickens or two or three chickens that we administered uh, directly into their mouths in front of the water so they could take sips of water. From the time we treated Gloria all the way to the end, not another chicken died. So from the time we started the homeopathy, none of them died. Those that died first were the sacrifice to determine what needed to be done. Now, you would think that's the end of the story. It was a great day for all of us. We were very, very pleased. We were very happy. And I kept the, the Cooper Metallicum 30 in the water. And when we changed the water fresh, and normally we would change it only once a day, that day we changed it twice so that the water was good and fresh, making sure everyone was getting and they were more interested in drinking the water. We changed it and then put fresh Cooper Metallicum in it again. And we kept it that way for a few days. We kept the medicine in there. But that's not the end of the story. What's really fascinating about this story is that none of them had any problem laying eggs. And the vet warned us, and the chicken health handbook reported that these chickens will never lay eggs once they've been exposed to cholera. And that's not at all what happened. And we knew that every chicken laid eggs because you know that this breed of chicken lays one egg per day. And we knew how many chickens we had. You count the chickens, you count the eggs, and you know that each chicken is laying an egg because no chicken lays two eggs in a day. And so they produced for years. Very interesting. So if I were a farmer who depended on the production of my animals, I would say that was a win-win-win financially. Uh, For us, it was an emotional win because my kids were attached to the chickens. And it was also a homeopathic win, not only for me, Um, and understanding how quickly you need to use it, how you administer it to the ones that are the sickest ones who are not going to drink from the water trough, but also for my children to see that. Growing up with those kinds of um, experiences was a big formulation of who they are today. And I'm thankful that I knew what I knew and that I didn't give up and say, oh, well, they're all going to die. Just let them die and that's it. Now, when this was all done, we had to find the source of the cholera because they don't just get cholera out of the thin air. There has to be a source. Well, it turned out there was a wild bird that had died of cholera in the coop. It had gotten into the coop and died in the straw. And we, of course, we had to get rid of the dead bird and then clean out the coop, fresh bedding, And now they also told us in the chicken health handbook that you have to disinfect the coop with, um, I can't remember what it was, but it was a very strong antiseptic. And we decided instead we were not going to do that. We decided that homeopathy was going to protect them. And it was a good decision. We didn't do that. We cleaned it all out, but we did not use the strong antiseptic that was recommended because we thought that was going to be taxing on them as well. So we hosed it down used soap and water, hot soapy water, and then put down fresh bedding after we discovered the wild bird. And nothing ever happened again. That was it. We never saw another case of it. And they were healthy and happy egg-laying chickens forevermore. (laughs) (laughs) Before we move on to another animal on your little hobby farm, I want to ask you a question again that I know is burning in people's minds. You had this watering bowl for the chickens and 
how many pellets did you put in the water? I don't remember. So what would you recommend to people then? I don't remember how many I put in there. We had a trough that was maybe two feet, three feet long and held maybe a couple gallons of water. I think I used a dose, maybe four or six pills, something like that. Made sure the trough was clean so that nothing else was interfering. But even if it had been dirty, to be honest, I've given remedies in soup to my father and it worked. But this was a dire situation. So I want to take away all conflicting factors that might get in the way of the success of the use of this medicine. But to be honest, I probably could have put it in a muddy, dirty trough that hadn't been cleaned in three days if we had to. Joette, let's move on in Old McDonald's Farm to the kitties. I think you have a kitty story for us. I have. So many years ago, we decided we wanted a cat and we heard of someone who had a litter and they were semi-feral. They had been born in a barn, but they'd been touched and held by humans. And there was one runt in the litter and they were still pretty young, but this kitten was minute. And the woman who had the cat said, the mother cat is going to uh, abandon this cat and it's going to die if you don't take it. Holy cow. What a, <laughs> oh my gosh. What a responsibility. Yeah. If you don't take this cat, you don't take gonna... this kitten, it's going to die. Now, it was not very healthy. It looked pretty scruffy. Its fur was sticking up, even though kitten's fur often does that, but it's stuck up in a strange way. It did not have a very thick coat like the others. It was quite subdued in its behavior. And the kids said, mom, mom, we got to take this kitten. We got to take this one. <laughs> so I knew we were in for trouble, but I thought, well, look, if we trust homeopathy, we trust it. And I would like the kids to learn. So, all right, we'll take this kitten. And about three or four days later, the kitten got very, very, very sick. So sick that it would not move. And I thought it was going to die. And um, I had given it a couple of cell salts to help build it up a little bit when we first got home, but apparently it wasn't enough. And the cat got so sick that we put it, but the boys had this lamb's fur. They put it in a basket and they put the cat in the basket and they gave it raw milk with an eyedropper. And it had a very, very bad odor. The cat smelled horrible. And so we were going to visit my in-laws and my parents in Florida. You know, we were living up in New York State and we had to go. Well, there was no way we could leave this kitten with someone else, obviously. So we put the cat in the basket and we packed up the car, which is what we always did. We always drove down and put the cat in the back seat between the boys. And I thought, this cat's going to die on the way to Florida. Or once we're in Florida, it's going to really be not very nice. But I said, let's give it a remedy a try. So I gave the cat sulfur, 30. And I thought, it's a last-ditch effort. So the first night, we finished driving. I gave it to her twice. Her name was Carmelina, by the way. I've written about Carmelina and other in blogs, et cetera. She was really, well, I'll tell you more about that later. But at any rate, I gave her two doses over a period of about six hours. I said, you know, we have nothing to lose here. 
So we got to the first place where we stopped. I think it was, I don't know, just south of Pennsylvania. And we stopped in a motel to spend the night. And we picked up the, the boys, picked up the cat in the basket with a little handle and brought the cat in the motel room with us. And we all got into bed. And in the middle of the night, we heard this crazy sound like a scampering or something. I thought it was a squirrel had gotten into the room. So we turned the light on and the cat was under the bed on her back, upside down, grabbing the bottom of the mattress and spinning herself all around, which she had completely revived with two doses of sulfur 30. And she came out and she was scampering and she was completely cured. Two doses of sulfur. And I thought, we all thought she was going to die. And I really didn't want my kids to have to experience that. But it's on the other hand, it's a good thing for them to see life and death. But at any rate, I was certain we were going to be having to dispose of a kitten's body at some point. And that's not what happened. And she lived for 16 years. And she had lots of spunk. She was very skitterish and frightened. But she still was part of the family and she would climb up the Christmas tree every year and she would chase and catch mice and bring them in the house and catch snakes and bring them in the house. So she was a very healthy cat for many, many years. I know, isn't that amazing? Yes, it is. But I've seen homeopathy do this with animals over and over again. It's incredible. It is. And now I want to step back so that our listeners, again, don't read into this to mean that when you use a homeopathic medicine, you only need two doses and then they should be cured. Um, This is, I'm telling these stories because they're remarkable stories. They're noteworthy, but it was very severe. Again, not unlike the cow situation, this was very severe. This cat was probably going to die. Not unlike the cow was probably going to die. And so when you get into these very severe situations, as long as you have the right homeopathic medicine and It's a matter of knowing, which is not that hard to know. This is not hard to find out which medicine it is. I went simply by the fact that sulfur is a remedy that is very specific for strong odors. And I also find that sulfur is a great medicine for ferile animals. Cats that are ferile, dogs in Calcutta that are ferile, um, a squirrel that's sick or something like that. I find that sulfur and a couple of other of the of the main medicines that we call polycrests are often very valuable in animal situations such as those. It's different when we're treating a purebred horse or a purebred dog. It's a little bit often, not always, it's often a little more complicated. But when it comes to an animal that has a, a history of living outside and, and not being tinkered with and not getting vaccinations, et cetera, then it's often those baseline polycrest remedies. And that might be a good little exercise for the listeners to look up what is the definition of polycrest. Yeah, that's a good idea. Instead of my teaching it now, yeah, look it up online. Absolutely. We've been talking a lot about homeopathic medicines for animals. And it's interesting because there are actual veterinarians that work specifically with homeopathy and treating animals that way. So if you're interested in something like that or learning more about those veterinarians who work that way. I know there's some of them that do phone consults. So you can always do some research and and look for those veterinarians online. And there are good homeopathic veterinary books that you can purchase. Dr. Pitt Karen is a good author, but there are many others. And so if you have pets or livestock, by all means, I would stack up on those books. It'll help you a great deal. Mm -hmm. So Joette, 
as we wrap up this podcast, share with us how you compare treating animals with homeopathy to humans with homeopathy. It's pretty much the same. With an adult, if you're taking an adult's case, they're going to give you verbal answers. When you're taking the case of an animal, you have to just observe. Not unlike if you're treating your infant or someone who's unconscious. You have to hone your observational skills. That's another characteristic of being able to take the case. And it's also a wonderful human skill to be able to look at someone, pay attention. Are they acting weak? Are they thirsty? Can you see anything there, anything that you can detect that will help you determine which homeopathic medicine to use? So with Carmelina, all I had was that she was very, very sick, weakened by something, I don't know what, and she had a very strong odor. And strong odor, not always, but more often than not, indicates the use for the remedy sulfur. And 30 or 200 would have, would have acted, I'm certain, in about the same fashion. I like when people treat animals because it gives them a lot of experience and it also affords them the opportunity to take note of details. I almost feel like those uh, moms with moxie that I talked to, the ones that have farms or a lot of animals, that they learn homeopathy at a much quicker Faster. Speed. There's more velocity. Absolutely. So if you have a farm or a small farm, or if you have a lot of animals, or if you have an opportunity to treat animals, wildlife, by all means, hop right in. You will learn a lot faster. Certainly so. So Kate, I guess what we end with is that homeopathy is, as I said earlier, God's medicine. It's intended for humans and animals and pets across the board, across this earth. And what I love about it is that as we learn this medicine and we learn it together, mothers and grandmothers usually, although it can be men sometimes, it's more often women folk, we should think in terms of linking arms across the earth. And it will give us the strength to know that this is something we want to pass on, not only to our children and grandchildren, but to our neighbors, our friends, our relatives, our churchmates, people we run into, anyone who might be interested, anyone who can be helped. You want to help others. It gives us purpose in life to be able to give to someone else. It's the greatest purpose of all. As I hope you know by now, on my blog, podcasts, and Facebook Live, I offer as many protocols for simple conditions as I can for free, without affiliates or advertising. But let me be clear, when it comes to more complex conditions, it's key that you learn how to use these medicines properly. I want you to be well-trained. So I save discussions of the more involved methods for my courses in which I walk students through each method with step-by-step training. I hope listening to this podcast has inspired you to follow in their footsteps. With the proper training, you too can nurture and protect the health of your family and loved ones with practical homeopathy. 
You just listened to a podcast from practicalhomeopathy.com, where nationally certified homeopath, public speaker, and author Joette Calabrese shares her passion for helping families stay strong through homeopathy. Joette's podcasts are available on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Blueberry, Pandora, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Thank you for listening to this podcast with Joette Calabrese. To learn more and find out if homeopathy is a good fit for your health strategy, visit practicalhomeopathy.com.